if you're just talking about what could you do to make the American health care system better, we're basically at the worst available points. Affordable health care should not be a privilege, it should be a right. Um, it's about understanding that in a democracy, um, and the way we have constructed our democracy, we at least in concept have said that your access to public education, public health, or public safety should not be a function of how much money you have. But in America today, that's not the case. In America today, one of the leading causes of bankruptcy for American families is the inability to pay a hospital bill. That's if you view it as a commodity, you're going to end up making it cheaper, more plentiful, more available, more competition. Welcome to Healthcare Weekly, the best weekly healthcare podcast in the business. I'm Jacob Harris. And I'm Christian Clark. Healthcare spending has reached almost 18% of US GDP over the last several years. This amounts to $3.5 trillion, or close to $11,000 per person. Clearly, this is a massive number, but should it be this way? The goal of today's podcast is to understand these numbers and learn more about the pros and cons of privatizing healthcare from a couple industry experts. Our first expert is Dr. Mitchell Harris, Chairman of Orthopedic Surgery at Massachusetts General Hospital in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Harris specializes in trauma and spine surgery. All right, thank you for coming on today, Dr. Harris. We have a few questions for you about privatization of healthcare. Um, first, we'll start off with what are the costs and benefits to hospitals of complete privatization of healthcare? If healthcare was, if healthcare was completely privately funded, there would be more money coming into the hospitals. Currently, many individuals either do not have healthcare plans and thus receive treatment without any payment to the hospital, or have health care plans supported by the government, or even some third-party payers, such as workman's compensation and such. These do not necessarily cover the cost of hospital-based expenditures, such as even an overnight stay, some particular medical equipment or testing, etc. Sometimes MRIs, even visits and operating room supply costs are not even covered by the insurance that the patients currently have. So if all hospitals, I'm sorry, so if hospitals were all privately funded, they would have, they would not have to treat these patients in their facilities. This would lead to inequity in healthcare. I see. And now to see how it affects the government, um, how much would privatization affect the government spending on health care? Well, if there was universally private health care, it, it's unlikely that there would be universal private health care because it would be too expensive for too many citizens or first-generation immigrants. So it would be unlikely to be able to have universal private health care. In general, there would more than likely need to be a other option. I see. So can there be a better balance made between public and privately provided health care? Yes. If all essential maintenance health care that was proved to be beneficial was covered by public, i.e. government, then you could have a tiered health care provision. The second tier would be those procedures that were elective and could be funded through a private uh, source of health care. 
Additionally, end-of-life care would be better regulated as a significant percentage of the overall health care expenditures occur at the terminal part of life, mm-hmm. mainly to prolong the inevitable death. Some of the palliative procedures would be questioned more thoroughly in this setting. Elective or pure quality of care health care would be available, but in a private sector to the individuals that desired that service. For example, cosmetic surgery or possibly some non-essential orthopedic surgery, such as maybe bunion surgery or some surgery for low back pain. These types of procedures would have to be regimented or, excuse me, regulated by evidence-based medicine. Can, can both systems exist concurrently and provide high-quality health care? In many countries currently, there is tiered health care, which has been proven to be of high quality in both public and private sector. Dr. Harris with some great insights, as always. I thought it was particularly interesting when Dr. Harris mentioned that he believes that a successful two-tiered healthcare system is possible. Currently, many people in the United States do not believe that our hybrid healthcare system is the solution. However, Dr. Harris does point out that many other countries have thrived with a two-tier system, so why can't we? That is true. However, he did acknowledge that for a current system to be successful, several changes would need to be made. Like he said, we can't continue to have a costly healthcare system that provides patients with mediocre services. We also must account for the differences in the ability to access healthcare across income levels. Yeah, but what changes will account for these deficiencies in our system? Many advocate for a shift towards private healthcare by passing the burden to the individual rather than the government. However, this could increase the individual's inability to access healthcare. On the flip side, others believe shifting towards public healthcare is a solution to our, fl- our flawed system. Although this would increase accessibility of healthcare, it could be extremely costly. So the answer does not seem to be clear cut. Very true. Another prominent issue concerning healthcare is the morality of it. Is it a right or is it a privilege? Many believe that it is morally wrong to not provide everyone with healthcare. Senator Kamala, Kamala Harris, along with other liberal thinkers, hold the opinion that it is the right and believe in healthcare for all. Opposing her are conservatives like Ben Shapiro that identify healthcare as a privilege and believe in a market-based system. Although this topic of morality is important, the economic implications for both opinions on healthcare cannot be overlooked. Great point. Definitely a difficult problem to solve. Exactly. Now, let's transition to our second interview of the day, Dr. Keith Bourgeois. Dr. Bourgeois is an ophthalmologist from Houston, Texas. He has worked in private practice for over 20 years, specializing in diseases and surgery of the retina and vitreous. He has also served as a delegate to the Texas Medical Association for several years. So another question, so what are the costs and benefits to doctors of this prioritization? Uh, And if you could give some specific specific examples, that'd be great. Well, the Exactly. 
follow the same rules and that hospitals and providers can get in trouble because uh, they're not transparent and some people would think they try to trick the facility and the doctors into delivering care and then not pay for it. And so it is a lot less risky for facilities and physicians to deal with Medicare than it is with the private insurers. Okay. Okay. And and then you ask about, it's a little confusing because you ask about cost. Um, I think the question said cost and and benefits, is that what you said? Yeah, so what could be detrimental to doctors of the privatization of healthcare, I guess is another way to put it. So the, um, a lot of times when they privatize things, they try to do what they call a managed care, and they do a, a provider network, and they try to estimate how many of different types of physicians that have different specialties, how many of those are needed in a certain region. And so they then try to shut all their business from this private plan to those doctors and then make it more expensive for people to go what they call out of network. Mm-hmm. And so that can that can distort the market. To give you an example, right. um, someone from far away looked at Houston, and on a map, Houston looks like it would be pretty easy to get from one side to the other. Mm-hmm. And there's a bunch of um, refineries, let's say, in, the, in, in northeast Houston, and people were getting a lot of hand injuries. And one of the... Uh, private plans had, uh, had picked a single hand surgeon for all of Houston, and he was on the opposite side of town, mm-hmm. about an hour and 15 minutes away. Mm-hmm. And people that were getting injured at the plant and had this insurance that the plant, the major plant bought, had to travel, you know, an hour and a half or an hour and 15 minutes to go see the only hand surgeon that was in the plant. Yeah. So it does create it does create distortions like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, next question. So, can do you believe private health can be private health care can be made more affordable? Well, yeah. I mean, one of the easy way to make private health care more affordable, and is a, I don't like a you know a, a Swedish solution where the chief executive has to only make twenty five times whatever the lowest worker, whatever it is that they say, but that one needs to only look at the exorbitant amount of money and stock options the private insurers are giving to their board and their CEOs. Uh, and it's just astonishing the amount of money some of these fellows make and ladies make and that they're making that money off the backs of the patients. And people need to understand that. Mm-hmm. Their, their, their bonuses and, and their uh, stock options are coming out of the premiums that the patients pay. Mm-hmm. And if that would be more looked at and scrutinized, the patients would be pretty mad. Mm-hmm. Uh, because um, uh, there's been some, some fantastic, um, and that's available in the, the stockholders' report, and that um, if you would uh, minimize those exorbitant salaries, would make it cheaper for everybody. Okay. But that they're, that that's against what they want to do.
Always great to hear from Dr. Bourgeois. I found his comments regarding the possibility of reducing the exorbitant cost of private healthcare quite interesting. I had never thought of reducing costs in this way. However, I agree with Dr. Bourgeois that reducing some of the excessively high salaries of private insurance executives could lead to a lower healthcare prices for their clients. Yeah, definitely something to think about. Another thing that stood out to me was his response to our question concerning the cost of private healthcare on doctors. His point that some private insurers trick doctors into believing that some aspects of healthcare will be provided when in reality they won't did not sit well on my stomach. This lack of transparency between doctors and private insurers seems like it has the potential to be detrimental to the healthcare system. I agree. The most important thing for me is ensuring that patients get the best care possible at the cheapest cost. It seems that if all parties work together harmoniously, they'd be able to find a mutually beneficial solution. I'm not sure that's possible though. Each group seems to have different goals. Hospitals and doctors want to make money while having high quality care, and patients want to spend as little as possible and get high quality care. I think that pricing is the main thing stopping everyone from being better off. That is true. I just hope that we can find a way for the millions of uninsured Americans to get proper insurance in order to protect themselves against medical misfortune. Me too. That's all for today, folks. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast. Next week, we'll be talking about the benefits of two-tiered healthcare systems. Thank you. It, it seems to me that the current U.S. healthcare system is broken. It can't continue to be so expensive without demonstrating substantially better quality than some of the other countries that it's compared to. It cannot allow the huge differences in healthcare access secondary to individual level of income. There will need to be substantive changes in the current system as we go forward.